a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law on my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. Well, I guess we should say Happy New Year because this is dropping after the new year. So happy 2022. We're actually recording this the week before Christmas. Happy New Year. We are going to be giving you our favorite first time watches of 2021. We should say it's more like from March of 2021 because our last episode our last quote-unquote discoveries episode went through march of this year because it was our pandemic discovery so we sort of took what we watched since then to the end of the year and we each picked 10 that we most wanted to talk about there was like way way more though picking 10 was hard yes Hard. It was. It was really hard. <laughs> but you know, hey, that, those are the breaks. Those there will are be the many rules. discards. Yeah. You didn't cheat at all this time, did you? I did not cheat this <laughs> one time. Now, last night you texted me and said, "Oh shoot, can I have 11? And I said, "Yes." <laughs> I was... And you texted me back and said, "No, I can't. Ten only." And, and it was very interesting. Because I forgot one. I forgot a very important one. I wasn't expecting you to say yes, though. I thought you were going to be like, no cheating. Maybe I wanted to cheat and have an 11th choice, too. Oh, I want to have like 20. Well, But we'll get to we those in the discards. These are just our most favorite ones. The ones that kind of mm-hmm. stuck with us the most. And ones that I really, really want to rewatch now. I, like, I've only seen all of these mm-hmm. once. So actually, when I talk about them, my memory might not be so great. I tried to look it up. Um, I don't have the best memory on movies I've only seen once, but I'm kind of looking these up again and just kind of remembering certain little scenes and stuff that I loved. Uh, I want to go back and watch all of these again. A few of these I've actually watched twice or more even, uh, which is rare because I don't rewatch movies all that often, to be honest. There's too much new stuff to watch. Exactly. I mean... You know, listening to Pure Cinema, my watch list is so big right now, I will mm. never get through it because there are so many movies that just sound so interesting. Uh, and then if people knew some of the franchise films like tentpole movies that I've never seen a single installment of, uh, people would probably <laughs> be upset with me. But, you know, until this year, Tremors was on that list, but it's not anymore. <laughs> um, nice. I've seen two of those. <laughs> I'm going to say, did you watch any of the sequels yet? I, watched, I haven't heard. I watched the second one. I watched Aftershocks. I love the second one. So, I hope you like that one. Did you? It was okay. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> For me, it was fine. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm sort of a first movie guy on that okay. one. Okay. But, you know, that's all right, right? 
So, and another yeah, thing, I, I know it's we're probably going to title this Discoveries, but I find it so weird to say Discovery. It sounds like, you know, I'm the only person who has ever heard of this movie. <laughs> and so I found it while I was out digging for gold in the Catskills. <laughs> And I unearthed this long lost classic. No, that's not really the case. It's more like I've heard of no. these movies for a long time or I've heard of them from other people or other shows or they've been recommended to me. And I watched them and said, this is great. This is right up my alley. This is the kind of movie I really love. So, I mean, none of these I would consider discoveries exactly. They're more like, yeah, these are my favorite first time watches. Some of mine are from 2021. And some of them are older. My newest one is from 2019. Okay. I actually have a lot more new movies than I normally would have. I tried Yeah, most to make... of mine aren't really discoveries. They're ones that I've at least heard the title from somebody else mm-hmm. or heard it very, very strongly recommended. There's a couple that I would consider my own little discoveries. I just, I saw the title like somewhere else and checked it out, but I haven't heard people talking about them and I think they need to. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at this and a whole lot of these have a two at the very beginning because for some reason, movies that are post 2000, I tend to get to like way after everybody else. Yeah. So I am afraid a lot of them that are on my list are probably be like, oh, really? You just got to that? Really? <laughs> you know, that so? kind of thing. But it's like, whatever. What does it matter? Whatever, whenever yeah. you watch a movie is the right time for you to see it. Well, and for a long time, I think I was kind of down on movies that were post 2000 or 2010 even because it's like, eh, it's just not the same or I don't know, something Mr. Mr. Old curmudgeon, old man yells at cloud kind of stuff. (laughs) You know, hey, I think this is a good list that I've got. And I've got a whole bunch of movies in the discards that are a lot of fun, Uh, too. I have all different uh, time periods, all different genres. I'm very, very happy with my list. Even though it's very difficult. Some very surprising omissions if you... I've seen what I've been talking about on Twitter this year. Oh, oh. But I have I have reasons. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think I'm have an idea of what that could be. Wow. Okay, so we're going to go back and forth. We're going to start with Michelle. Yay. Yeah, just go back and forth one at a time through each of our 10 choices. So, you ready with your first pick? We'll say that yours are ranked and mine are not. <laughs> Yeah, mine are sort of ranked. My number 10 is my number 10, and my number 1 is my number 1. Okay. Uh, everything else is a little more wishy-washy, though I did move a few up to what felt more like the right ranking this morning. So yours are kind of right. Mine, aren't, mine are just kind of random. We'll both save like our most favorites for the last, mm-hmm. but it's not really a ranking. This is just how I looked at my list. When I was thinking about making the list, I went through like every month on Letterboxd and just wrote down my favorites from each month and then had to pick my favorites of those. And that's how it came about with the list. So yeah. I had some pretty damn good months of watching so i'm i'm kind of excited for the discards too <laughs> yeah me too me too all right but let's get going with the list so i'm gonna get started with one that has actually i've seen come up a lot recently because of somebody who was involved with it it was written by stephen sondheim mm. who passed away recently um i'm talking about the last of sheila in my discards 1973 really <laughs> yeah in my discards. Uh, i could not yeah. Could not leave this one off. Um, yeah, great film. Directed by um, Herbert Ross, also did Steel Magnolias and Footloose. 
And it was written by, like I said, Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. It's mm. crazy. Cast is amazing. James Coburn, Raquel Welsh, Ian McShane, James Mason, who I know you love, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Diane Cannon. And okay, you can't really explain too much about this movie because you have to just watch it. Watch mm-hmm. how it all unfolds. But the, basically the setup is that James Coburn is this movie producer and this is taking place like a year after his wife, Sheila, was killed in a hit and run while he was having like some kind of Hollywood party or whatever. So it's a year later and he's invited all these people that were at the party onto his yacht for a week of just like cruising fun. But of course, you know, he's probably got ulterior motives. And he introduces this uh, game that he wants to play where he gives each one of the guests a little index card that's got supposedly a fake secret on it. It says like, uh, you're a homosexual or you're a shoplifter. Mm -hmm. And each person, they have to like figure out, you know, the other person's secret thinking it's just a game. Right. And it's really interesting, like how he's got it set up. Like they have to go and like find the proof for each one of the secrets, like when they dock at certain cities on the cruise. So um, like my my favorite part is um, in the Abbey, but there's Mm -hmm. the first one is like, they're just, uh, he's got this like whole elaborate setup where they have to go up and around the the this city little, and like little find, city, yeah. find yeah find clues. Well, that when they find the proof, they realize that these are actually real secrets that each one of them has. Just to keep going with the plot, just a little bit to get you into it, even though you're you probably are already because it's amazing. Um, at the Abbey, like someone dies, mm-hmm. and it's really great because they it's really cool setup when they they get to the Abbey. It's like this run down, and they're all wearing like robes and stuff, so you can't really tell like who's who or who's talking or who's here or who's there. Yeah, someone ends up dead, and that's when things get really serious, and it uh, it just goes and goes and goes from there. Yeah. Um, I love mysteries so much. I love Mm -hmm. mystery stories like this. And this was just completely my bag. I was into it the whole way through. And like one of the final reveals at the end, I was like, oh, I was starting to like kind of suspect that. Um, And I was just, it made me so excited watching this. This is just an amazingly tangled web, but it all like unravels so beautifully. And the actors are, of course, amazing. Absolutely loved, loved, loved this movie. Yeah, it's like it's a whodunit that starts out as the person knows whodunit and is trying to root that person out, but then it turns into another kind of whodunit. Then it turns into something else (laughs) and something else and something else. It just wraps itself over and over and over again. And by the end, you're like, how did we get here? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's really something. It's a great, great choice. Really good film. Well, if you're a big fan of like, you know, Knives Out or I can't mm. think of anything else right now, but like just really yeah. twisty, turny, like whodunit mystery stories. This is like a, seriously one of the best I've ever seen. I was absolutely enamored with it. Yeah. Ryan Johnson talked about this movie as being yeah, a big fan that's right. of it and a big influence on Knives Out. Yeah. All right. Okay. Number 10 for you. So my number 10 choice is probably going to make you laugh. As soon as I watched this, it was like, this has to end up on my top 10 somewhere. It's probably going to be near the bottom of it, but it just gave me so much joy. It was like, I got a soul douche. It's Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yes. Yay. I loved that one. It's on my discards, kind of. Oh my gosh. This movie just insanity it is so bizarre and crazy there's like a james bond villain plot going on and Kristen wig plays 
both star and the villain. And I didn't even know that the first time. You know, I didn't even realize it was her the first time I watched it. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So, it's so joyous, though. Oh, my God. It's I had, so joyous. I was, I, mean, so hap- have, I was so happy watching that movie. <laughs> you have a, a crab named Morgan Freeman with a D, voiced by Morgan Freeman. You have musical numbers. You know, it's like your dong was in so deep it touched my heart. <laughs> I mean, it's lines like that. I mean, okay. Barb and Star are a couple of middle-aged women who have just lost their job, and they decide to go to Vista Del Mar in Florida on vacation. And that's everything for the setup of it. (laughs) And then you will not be able to guess where it goes from there. No, it is just absolutely insane. Uh, Jamie Dornan is a love interest and a spy and uh, Damon Wayans Jr. is very strange and hilarious and it's a wild, wild ride and so much more fun than I ever expected it to be. And for a movie that is this crazy and sort of this zany to be this well made is rare because yeah. it, it looks like a massive budget movie uh the set designs and costumes everything are just spectacular it is it's so colorful too yeah you know it kind of reminds me of sort of the big production comedies of the late 90s you know something like an austin yeah. powers movie or something you know sure yeah, yeah you know where it's just like pure insanity but just so good and it is so funny and that line at the beginning where it's just like i got a soul douche is just about the funniest thing (laughs) even like small roles like phyllis smith is part of this their little talking group (laughs) and she loves horses and she wants to talk about horses but that's not the topic that day so she tries to sneak in horses (laughs) however she can it's so bizarre it's so funny and just so damn good and i have watched it a couple times now and it's pure joy just so much fun yeah no i love that choice because this is a good one for just one to lift your spirits when you need it (laughs) because those two of them are so charming to each other the way they talk to each other and their friendship i love you too they're supposed to be like kind of like you said like just middle-aged kind of boring women but they're so cute i love them i love how you know like they'll get on the airplane the scene in the airplane and they they bring up the name oh i love the name trish it's my favorite name then they come up with this whole (laughs) giant story about this imaginary person named trish and it takes the entire (laughs) flight to tell this story and they're so emotional about this person they've made up named trish on this plane ride it's so funny they're like holding hands and crying by the end of the flight Um, (laughs) it's so great i just adore it it's so much fun as crazy as like some of the stuff that happens later on in the movie it's just what kind of sticks with you i think is is their friendship Mm -hmm. that's what i loved about absolutely that's a great choice i love that the friendship is the real thing and and culottes (laughs) and culottes which i always thought they were called gauchos that's what i called them but whatever yeah (laughs) all right well i'm gonna take a Big turn from that for my next one. Um, This is from 2016. One that I didn't really hear a lot of talk about, still don't, but it was just, it was super fun, quick movie that I really dug, uh, In a Valley of Violence um, from Ty West. Haven't heard from Ty West in a while. Miss you. Come back. Because this movie was awesome. So this stars Ethan Hawke, John Travolta, Tessa Farmiga, uh, Karen Gillan, and James Ransom. And so Ethan Hawke, uh, he is Paul, and he has a little dog called Abby. 
Abby is a good girl. I love her. You'll fall in love with Abby and you really shouldn't at the beginning of the movie, which you can probably kind of guess why, because there's kind of a John Wick thing going on in this movie, um, um, which I sorry, I just gave away a twist. But still, that's kind of the motivation for the whole movie. He's like this drifter uh, in the Old West and he's heading to this town called Denton, which is the Valley of Violence. I think it's like an old mining town that's run by like a gang of like little misfits now, not like criminal masterminds or whatever, but just there's not a lot of people there anymore and there's not a whole lot going on but he, on the way there like he runs into a priest who tries to steal his horse but he gets the upper hand on him and so you kind of realize that paul is his, he can take care of himself and when he gets to denton um he runs afoul of uh, gilly martin who's james ransom he's just like this obnoxious guy who just causes problems for no reason you know so he kind of gets into it with this guy he makes friends with Tessa Farmiga, who runs the local inn with her sister, Karen Gillen, who's also Gilly's fiance. And John Travolta is the marshal of the town and Gilly's father. And what I kind of liked about this is that Gilly is the one that causes all the problems in the town. But John Travolta's character is not so much like, uh, I'm going to get back at you for what you did to my son. He's like, my son's a fucking idiot. Don't listen to him. And he like chastises his son for causing all these problems because, of course, something terrible happens and Paul wants to get revenge. That's kind of like the whole plot of the movie. It's like just a very basic revenge tale. It's very... um It's not super violent, but it's just really fun action revenge sequences. And mostly it's like the actors are just chewing the scenery with their roles. They're having so much fun. They're so into it, especially I would say um, Farmiga and Gillen as the sisters who run this in. They're just like on high energy the whole movie. And it's, it's super fun. You know, it's like one of those movies where it's there's not much to it and there's not much else you really need from it. It's just it's really well made and it's fun. And like I said, the actors are having a good time. Hey, I, I really enjoyed it. Sounds cool. It's like a Western. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. It's Western. Cool. Great. Yeah. I uh, have seen one Thai West movie as far as I know. And it was actually this year. I saw The Sacrament, <gasps> which was great. It was really good. Yeah, um, love that one. Came in handy for something I'm working on, <laughs> and so I've Jones in to see more of his stuff. So I'll uh, give this one a look. Yeah, like I said, I didn't hear a lot of people talking about this one, and it's it's really well done. You can tell it's like this is something he really wanted to do, probably like make a western, and just he's having a ball with it, and the actors are having a ball with it, and they're it's really sinking their teeth in these roles. It's very like an insulated story. It's not like big set pieces and stuff going on but it's they still keep it like super interesting and really fun all the way through all right highly recommend sounds it. cool my next one is quite a shift from barb and star as well <laughs> um and that is from 1947 uh, Nightmare Alley. Ooh, okay. okay. Yeah, I want to hear about this. And so I'm talking about the original. Obviously, this one is being talked about a lot because of the remake that, as of our recording, came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I did see it, but for my money, it's the original. <laughs> I I really do love the original. Um, the The remake I like. I think it's quite good. It's beautiful to look at for sure. But something about this classic version. So much of is bubbling below the surface of it that is made explicit in the remake. And I think I personally prefer that bubbling below the surface thing. So there's a lot of sexual tension and uh, implication in this movie that is very fascinating. It starts out with uh, Tyrone Power plays a guy named Stanton or he goes by Stan. And he's part of this carnival, and he gets hooked up with Joan Blondell as Xena, and, and they're pulling a scam. You know, it's a carny thing. So, I mean, they're they're not really fortune tellers. They, they're doing 
mentalism and things like that. He finds he's really good at mentalism. And so he kind of becomes famous as this mentalist. He's able to just read people so well by body language, by tone of voice, by things that he sees on their person, you know, jewelry or whatever. And he's just able to play them, essentially. Well, he becomes quite successful at it. He also gets hooked up with uh, Helen Walker as Lilith. She's a psychiatrist. This whole thing is like, who's playing who at a certain point? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and the whole start of this movie, the whole question this whole movie leans on is and in the circus at the beginning and or in the carnival at the beginning, there's this person called the geek. And the geek is a person that bites the heads off chickens. Is he man or is he beast kind of person? And the question at the beginning that Tyrone Powers' character asked is, what would cause a person to sink that low? And the whole movie is basically the answer to that question. Okay. And it's a very, very dark story. There's some things that surprise you would be seen in a 1947 film or discussed in a 1974 film seven 47 film at least (laughs) not 74 74 it would probably be much more explicit too it's a terrific movie it's a great noir though it doesn't necessarily feel like a noir to me until about halfway through then it feels more like a noir film as we know it i watched a lot of like circus (laughs) and carney related films this year and we'll talk about some of them in the discard but The thing is about the remake is the plot beats are almost exactly the same as the original. It's just kind of more graphic about everything, which is fine. And that's good, too. I I really think the remake is terrific. But watching them so close together was a little bit tough because (laughs) it was like... I'm watching the same movie, <laughs> you know, I'm watching the same story, <laughs> yeah. you know, here, which is fine. And I think the remake is definitely worth seeing. But the 1947 version for my money is just kind of an unimpeachable classic. It's also an under the radar one until recently, yeah. you know, it was one that I hadn't really heard about until the remake rumblings started coming Me up. Either. You know? yeah. Where can you watch this? I bought the Criterion. It's a Criterion? Okay. Yeah. It's one of their more recent releases. Cool, cool. Yeah. Highly recommend that one. I think I think you would like that one a lot. Sounds like it. That definitely sounds like my thing. I was very interested, of course, obviously, because of uh, the remake, but you recommend seeing the original first and then the remake, or will I be disappointed? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, because I watched it, the original first, and I ended up being a little disappointed in the remake, Aww. though the remake is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, it's a terrific f- film. Um, I really liked it. But for me, I, I guess I didn't find myself emotionally connected with okay, it yeah. very much. That happens. Yeah, yeah. And there are a million reasons why that could be. I mean, it may not be the movie at all. I mean, it very well could be just me you know, <laughs> going into it. I was very excited to see it, and, and I'm glad I saw it. And I gave it a three and a half star rating. I mean, it's really quite good. So, I mean, it's there's nothing for me to say. It's not... I'm, there's not bad at all is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, but for me, there's something about the original that I just connected to more. I think there's a, an emotional element. I, it, it has also, it's a little bit more explicit about, there's a sense that Stan is kind of a, a spiritual predator in the original more so than in the remake. He's a religious swindler. You know, he sort of preys upon people's, belief in things to get what he wants and i 
find that gross, but mm-hmm. fascinating. <laughs> you know, it's one of the reasons why I love a movie like Elmer Gantry or, or Facing the Crowd. Yeah. You know, because movies like that are really about sucky people <laughs> who are hurting others by preying upon their deeply held convictions and beliefs, you know. And I find that behavior in real life angers me deeply, but it fascinates me when it's a character in a movie. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You know, like Steve Martin's Leap of Faith is kind of the nicer version of that. But those movies I find compelling. I find faith-based fraud kinds of things interesting. Cool. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. definitely interested to see both of those now. Yeah, and I recommend both. I just don't know which order to see them in. Okay. <laughs> I would maybe say see the remake first. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Wait a while. You know, don't watch them back to back is I think probably the better way to put it. Give them space in right. between. That's the main thing that I would say. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, my next one is kind of mostly just for f- fun it was one that i had in my like amazon queue i think and just kind of randomly put it on one night and it just was the best time i probably had all year watching a movie uh this is the lair of the white worm from 1988 Ah. (laughs) i've started this movie a couple of times and i've just never gotten past a certain point you have to I know. I've been wanting to see it. I love Ken Russell. I love all the actors in this. I mean, Peter Capaldi and Hugh Grant. I know, right? (laughs) In a Ken Russell movie. Ken Russell movie. Um, Apparently, this is very loosely based on a Bram Stoker novel, too. Yep. Which I didn't even know. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. My Bram Stoker. Jewel of the Seven Stars, I think. (laughs) Well, the thing is, what's funny is that's the same story that... The Mummy from 1932 was based on, believe it or not. Uh, so neither of them, I think, particularly follow that particular <laughs> novella or, or story. But. Um, Plot-wise, for this movie, um, I don't really know. Honestly, I don't really care. It's a Ken Russell movie. It's a movie. Ken Russell movie. <laughs> um, there's something about like a giant skull that this archaeology student finds in the ground that's connected to this local legend of the Dampton worm that was supposedly slain by the ancestor of Hugh Grant. And there are these two sisters that own the the inn where the archaeology student is staying. I don't remember anybody's names, whatever. Their father went missing recently in the woods by this lady's house, uh, Lady uh, Sylvia Marsh, who is the the worm creature that you see like on the poster art and everything. <laughs> and like I said, yeah, not really much plot, just a lot of uh, good bonkers fun where you're not really laughing at the movie. You're laughing with the movie and the ridiculousness. It's like just really having fun with itself. I had a ball watching this movie. It lifted my spirits again. <laughs> Another one of those movies that you don't really expect you're going to have a good time watching, but it was just the absolute best. Yeah, I mean, what I have seen of it is a lot of fun. I just went into it in a state where it's like I just wasn't in the right yeah. state of mind for it, I think. <laughs> You know, it happens sometimes, I'm sorry to say, but it's been on my list for a long time. I mean, like years, and I just haven't, for whatever reason, (laughs) gotten to it. Yeah. Just wait when you're in the mood to, um, I don't know, just have a good time and, and not think too much about what you're seeing, but just 
enjoy what you're seeing. This movie just kind of snuck up on me because, like I said, I was just, I was open to anything the night that I watched this and just threw it on and completely took me over. I don't know if it's really your kind of movie necessarily. I'm not sure. Are you into this kind of stuff? I don't know. No, I'm into all (laughs) kinds of stuff. That that sounded weird. Yeah, I give pretty much everything a chance. I I mean, I I just don't hear you talking about like the super weird stuff all that much. Oh, I love super weird stuff. All right, cool. Then this is totally your thing. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm all for super weird. If it's bonkers, I'm great. Yes, definitely. Awesome. I mean, weird snake people and Hugh Grant. Like, what more do you want, really? Yeah, right on. Yeah, that's what you're gonna get with. Great. (laughs) I'm down Next for up, that. Except for you. Okay, so yeah. this 2021 has been a pretty terrific year for musicals, surprisingly. In the Heights, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which I'm going to see today. I haven't seen it yet, so it's not going to make the list. Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar is kind of a musical. Um, <laughs> yep. So there have been a lot of good ones, but the one that hit me the most emotionally was uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tick, Tick, Boom which I think it's on Netflix. So it stars Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson, who, and this is told to you right up front. He wrote uh, the musical Rent, which of course went on to win all sorts of big Tonys, sort of a cultural milestone. I mean, probably as far as musical theater goes, it was one of the big touchstones until like Hamilton came along. So, I mean, he sort of feels like in a line from Sondheim to Jonathan Larson to Lin-Manuel Miranda in a way, you know. And again, this is the Sondheim connection. Uh, I actually watched this the day before Sondheim passed away. Uh, or at least the news came out of that. So it was just one of those things. And uh, Bradley Whitford plays Stephen Sondheim, by the way, in a small sort of cameo <laughs> performance. But this is about the writing of Jonathan Larson's first musical. It's sort of meta because Jonathan Larson wrote Tick, Tick, Boom, and it's him performing that. But it's also about the making of his first musical that was never produced that was only done in a read through it's this kind of a stunning work i haven't seen a musical do the things quite the way this does in on film but it's kind of you just got to see it to really understand it i can't really explain it to anybody okay but there are things in it that are i mean there are in jokes that if you're not a big musical theater fan, you probably won't understand, you know, there are like Joel Gray and Patty Lupone and different people show up in it randomly. Who? Um, exactly. Exactly. If you don't know okay, who they yeah. are, and I didn't know who all of them were either, you're going to be like, I don't know who that is. But at the same time, it doesn't matter that much. It's still a cool spectacle. It's directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's a smaller kind of musical, but it doesn't feel slight at all. It's got a real emotional impact. It's just about creating art and the struggle that that is and the sacrifices that it takes. And it's tragic, but kind of powerful and beautiful, too. I, I don't know how to describe this movie except as... One of the most emotionally impactful musicals I have ever seen. And it's filled with great performances. The music, uh, Jonathan Larson had a particular style of writing that is kind of inimitable and really smart and clever and 
I was just really blown away by how good this was for the kind of yeah. musical it is because it's not a big lavish thing, but it is important feeling in spite of that. So for me, this was the best musical I've seen so far this year. And granted, I haven't seen West Side Story yet. And, <laughs> and as great as In the Heights is, and it is great, uh, this is the one that I ended up preferring. That sounds really yeah. good. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that one. Yeah, I was just bowled over by it. So watch it when I'm I'm ready for something a little bit sad, maybe, it sounds like. This is about the struggle of art and just reaching for success and never quite getting there and being so close mm. so close to it and but still being remembered obviously yeah i really like that actually <laughs> in a lot of ways it, it has some of the similar kinds of thematic elements of rent of the things that really matter you know your mm. friendships your relationship the fact that you are working to create something okay when I first started writing, Jerry Smith gave me some good advice. He said, just make it about the work. Don't yep. make it about being popular or yeah. liked or known or any of that. Just make it about doing the best work that you possibly can. And this whole movie is kind of a meditation on that idea. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know really what else to say about it without giving away more. And, and okay. so I just think... It's just a movie that should be experienced and watched. And I want to watch it again. Now that I've said that, I'm like, I want to go watch that movie again. Cool. Okay. So my next one is my most recent one from 2019. This is Bit. Oh, yeah. I've been wanting to see this. Yeah. Yeah. If you think you're sick of vampire movies, someone else is always doing something just a little bit different with them to keep them interesting. And this is definitely one of them. This is from Brad Michael Elmore. And it's about uh, this girl, Laurel. She's uh, a trainer gender teen who's goes to Los Angeles for the summer to kind of stay with her brother who she hasn't really been close with recently and on the first night there they go to a club and she meets this other girl Izzy and they have an adorable adorable scene together on the rooftop but of course Izzy is a vampire and is part of this like a group I like the little um, synopsis for it that I saw on IMDb. It says, it's like, a transgender teenage girl on summer vacation in Los Angeles fights to survive after she falls in with four queer feminist vampires mm-hmm. who try to rid the city streets of predatory men. Which, it's kind of about that, but also kind of not. At the same time, uh, the leader of the vampire group is Duke, who, when I first saw Diana Hopper as Duke... And her white leather jacket and her hair kind of like poofed up with little braids going up the sides, her mouth covered in blood because she's a vampire mm. and smoking a cigarette. I was like, I'm so gay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that. I, I am definitely into that. She's so hot. Like I said, she's a leader. And of course, the whole thing, Laurel gets turned. And it's similar to other vampire stuff you've seen in that way where she, you know, that's the struggle of like being a new vampire, you know, <laughs> and she kind of refuses to feed at first. She rejects being a vampire at first and then Duke and all the other girls show her like the fun part of it and they have these rules. Duke has these rules that they won't turn men Mm -hmm. because she says that men can't handle the power of being a vampire and she has this whole backstory that they go into that kind of explains why she thinks that and they use their powers to get rid of rapists and stuff on the streets but the movie is also kind of about not really practicing what what exactly you preach and kind of mm-hmm. like taking that idea and refocusing it and doing doing things the right way because Duke has some secrets that she's keeping from the other vampires 
So I'm not going to go into that whole thing because that's the part that's kind of new that I haven't seen before Mm -hmm. in another vampire movie. That's kind of, I think we'll get people into it. Like her past with the vampire that turned her Vlad, which is like (laughs) super obvious vampire name. But (laughs) I like her whole backstory and like what the movie gets into with that. But I also kind of like that it's not... Yeah, it's described as they're, they're four queer feminist vampires, but they're also like, neither one of them is a very good person. Laurel's actually not a good person mm-hmm. sometimes. Or you kind of get that she's had some, she's had struggles. Like one of her best friends when she left home, like something happens after she's come to LA and she's kind of ignored that. There's this great scene between her and her brother about how selfish she's been. And Duke obviously is cause hiding stuff from the other vampires. So nobody is really perfect in this but which i kind of like you know i always Mm -hmm. like a little bit of a flawed main character that really learns from her situation and the vampire stuff is like super fun i love the the part where they're like flying in the city that's a great scene between duke and laurel i think people will really be into this it's got enough of the familiar stuff that you love about vampire Mm -hmm. stories but it also does things differently and it's so well made and uh, i kind of love too that it's not very well-known actors uh-huh. too. In that way, it also feels very fresh and very new. Yeah, never underestimate what really creative people can do with vampires, zombies, or Frankenstein monsters, you know? Exactly. Um, you can always mm-hmm. add just a touch different element yeah. and it makes it that much more interesting than other stuff. Yeah, I saw Larry Fessenden's Habit for the first time this year. I still haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah I gotta watch that. And it's one that I need to digest more. I didn't end up on my list here, but I found it interesting and I bring it up because it's an example of, again, twisting that whole vampire trope into something really original and different. Yeah, Bit's been on my list for a, a while now because I heard about it when it was kind of in the festival days from, I think, Jerry or someone. It sounds really fascinating to me and one that I definitely wanted to I think you'd really like check it. Out. Yeah. yeah. My next one is actually also a horror movie. Yay! Just coincidentally. And it is from 2015, Karen Kusama's The Invitation. Yes! Good yes. God, is this movie great. Yes! Yeah. And the thing, okay, yeah, it is. I, I mentioned a little bit with Nightmare Alley, you know, I like spiritual predator movie, things like that. Cults. Cults. Fuck Cults yeah. are, I mean, th- between this and The Empty Man this year, I was like in heaven. I did, And I saw Kill List <laughs> this year. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just yes. been like nice. everything <laughs> that I love about religious horror, I guess. Has, that was I've one seen. of my favorite things. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things when we were both watching The Empty Man at the same time. <laughs> oh, I know. That was so much fun. <laughs> and we were both like, there's a cult. Yes. Yep. <laughs> this is a cult movie. <laughs> I think I was like a little bit ahead of you and I didn't want to spoil what I was seeing compared to what you were seeing. <laughs> oh, man. So The Empty Man didn't end up on my list either, but uh, that was a terrific one. It's on my discards. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. The Invitation just starts out as it looks like going to be this dinner party among friends. And then before long, they're introduced to Pruitt played by John Carroll Lynch, one of the most terrifying performances ever. I mean, his little cameo in Zodiac is terrifying, but this is Mm -hmm. up there with that, in my opinion. It's really creepy. So the people who invited them all over are trying to get them to get involved in this spiritual enlightenment movement they've connected themselves with. And no one is interested. And before long, you know, people start to die. Um, but, <laughs> but that that closing shot with all the red lanterns yep. is so chilling. Yep. I won't say any more than that, but I mean, it is 
absolutely terrifying. And I think even though this movie was made in 2016, boy, did it relate to 2020 uh, and sort of this (laughs) idea of the spread of misinformation, the spread of conspiracy, the spread. I mean, to, in a way, you know, the spread of, of all of that stuff was, I mean, not as literally deadly as the virus, but it contributed to actual death. And that is just terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And this film, I think, captures in such a quiet way, sort of an understated way, how bad ideas spread and hurt people. Mm-hmm. That just really was effective. Boy, I want to see more Karen Kasama. I mean, just give her all the movies. Yeah. Just let her make whatever she wants because what she makes is interesting. I mean, I know she didn't particularly have success with everything she's done, right? I mean, Eon Flux, of course, was <laughs> was kind of a flop, but... I mean, come on, Jennifer's body and some of these other films. Yeah. It's just, just, I just find her so fascinating as a filmmaker. And I just want more of her work. I love the emotional play between um, Logan Marshall Green, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the main guy. Between him and his ex-wife about yes. his performance is really great. Definitely. There's a scene at the table when you kind of start to realize what's going on that is just... Ugh. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, this was one of my favorite movies of that year. I absolutely love The Invitation. Yeah. So glad you saw it. It's just one I, I want to watch again and again because it's scary. It's a great kind of frightening film and tense film, but there's something ultimately kind of weirdly hopeful about you know, the two people standing <laughs> together at the end, they almost look like they're ready to stand alone against the flood, you know? Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. I don't know, that's kind of a cool way to close it. And that's not really giving anything away. Boy, that last shot will haunt you. Yep. That's for sure. Definitely. Yay. I'm so happy for you when you see great movies like that. Yes. Okay, my next one is another one that I just had a ball with, and it's also super good. From 1979, Time After Time. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, We I remember you watching this one. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love this. This is from Nicholas Meyer, who you said you knew from a couple of the Star Trek movies. Yeah, he right? directed the... He contributed to th- the three best Star Trek original cast okay. movies, Star Trek Two, Star Trek Four, and Star Trek Six, and he directed two and six. Nice. <laughs> For me, Nicholas Meyer is the man when it comes to saving Star Trek, so. Nice. Well, he does an awesome job with this movie because the story could very well come off as being a little silly, uh-huh. a lot silly maybe, but I don't know, the way the whole thing is handled, it's not at all. So it starts out in 1893. We have Malcolm McDowell as H.G. Wells. And he's having a little party with his friends, doing a little show and tell thing for this time machine that he's built. And one of his friends that's there is one of my loves, David Warner, as John Leslie Stevenson. So this is also 1893 London. So this is also the same time as the Jack the Ripper murders. And so you kind of find out basically in the same night that he shows them this time machine that David Warner's character, Stevenson, is the Jack the Ripper. The police have come to Wells' house. And so he uses the time machine to escape to the future. And Wells goes after him. That's basically the, the plot yeah. of the story. Yes, sounds really ridiculous. But in the, the most I don't awesome know, the, way possible. 
in the most awesome way. Yeah, it's <laughs> so awesome. There's something about the, the way that it's handled and, and the actors that just, mm-hmm. it never really feels ridiculous at all. It's so charming. Malcolm McDowell is the most sweet, charming I have ever seen him in a movie, yeah. as well as like, especially when he gets to the future and he's just got this curiosity about everything that is so charming. So basically he's looking for Stevenson and he kind of figures out that he's going to need money in the future and that he, so he goes to all the different banks you know asking about like hey did some like weird british guy you know want to exchange some old <laughs> old money and so he that's where he runs into mary steenburgen who i love as uh, amy robbins because she did talk to stevenson before and she led him to this hotel that where he go stay and so that's how wells is able to find him and as fun as all of this is there's a good comment that i really liked about like modern society mm-hmm. that he makes kind of subtly in there because when wells and stevenson finally get reunited and he's trying to convince him to come back to the past with him and face you know his justice for what he did he has this whole thing about how much more at home he is in modern society he says something about how you know because Obviously, humans have been violent since the beginning of time, but, you know, he kind of sees it as, you know, we're so much more violent and probably more apathetic mm-hmm. in modern times. And he says something about how, you know, back in our time, I was I was a freak. You know, today I'm an amateur. <laughs> He's talking about being Jack the Ripper, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. It's very cute. McDowell and Mary Steenburgen have like a budding romance, of course. The scene where he tries to convince her like who he really is is super cute because she's very much, I think she mentioned something in their first meeting about like women's lib or whatever. So she's very staunch in her, I don't know, in her beliefs. One of the things too that's really interesting is that when Wells goes in the time machine into the future, he actually lands in an H.G. Wells museum mm-hmm. <laughs> with the time machine is actually on display. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I just loved that little thing. And things really kind of ramp up when he takes her into the future like just a little bit and they see that she's one of the victims of the new Ripper murders that are happening. Uh, this is in San Francisco, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just uh, I had so much fun with this. Like I said, it's so well done for the kind of story that it is. And it's so funny at times, too. Yeah. One of my favorite lines that I was telling you about is because I think Amy's trying to convince Wells to, to get a gun or something against Stevenson. And his line is, uh, the first man to raise a fist is the man who has run out of ideas. And like without missing a beat, her response is just, I love you. <laughs> when he says that, <laughs> I don't know why that just cracked me up i highly highly recommend this movie it is a blast i mean for the actors for the the plots uh it's all around like i had so much fun with this i saw this many many years ago my guitar teacher recommended it to me back in the day he was a star trek fan so he was like you gotta see nicholas meyer's other movie time after time so i may have even rented this like on vhs it is that long ago uh, i'm not positive but so it's been a long time but i still remember a lot of what you're saying about it and so it's it's a great deal of fun and yeah well worth watching all right so i've changed my order a little bit based on that discussion i just instead of what i was originally had earmarked for this slot i'm gonna go with from 1971 elaine may's a new leaf uh I still gotta see this, yeah. Which is a delightful movie starring Walter Matthau as this rich guy who has 
essentially spent all his money. He's wasted. No, I have seen this. He's wasted all of his money. And so he's going to lose everything. And so he kind of hatches a plot along with his butler to get married. <laughs> and so he starts to try kind of woo Elaine May, who's sort of this dowdy, clumsy. Uh, she's a, she is the she's best. a botanist. <laughs> uh, thus the title. She's literally looking for a new leaf. But he also... She's so charming in this movie. <laughs> she's her. great. After they get married, oh, he, he plans to, you know, have her accidentally die so he can take all of her money. So it's that kind of a movie. You know, a comedy with a mean streak, but that is like really funny anyway. And mm-hmm. yeah. I, oh, yeah. Elaine May wrote and directed it. She's so charming in her role in it. This is Walter Matthau like I've never seen him. He's really different in this. And there are just all sorts of great running gags, you know, like his car, his Ferrari always gets locked up. You know, it's like there's carbon on the valve is his line over and over again. And he always ends up getting it towed the rest of the way home because he never drives it fast. It's just a charming movie and a lot of fun and really, really smart. It's an incredibly intelligent comedy and Elaine May's made some really terrific movies. I mean, The Heartbreak Kid is brilliant. That's the one I still got to see. Heartbreak Kid, I happened, when I still had TCM, I saw it on TCM. But it doesn't have a Blu-ray. It doesn't have any release. It's very hard to see. And I am dying for the original Heartbreak Kid to become available because it deserves to be. And thankfully, A New Leaf is available through Olive and can be purchased. It is? Yeah. Ooh, I have to get that. Yeah, and (laughs) so... So I it's and you can get it in like a really, really super nice edition that's a little more expensive or you can get the one that doesn't have any bells and whistles and extras for less. Either way, it's well worth it. Really good movie. Very funny. Very charming. I kind of want to see it again now, too. Yeah, I saw this a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. I had this yeah, same reaction. It's just, it's so cute and charming. Yeah. And she just stole my heart in her role. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he kind of is charmed by her like we are, too. And it's what makes it sort of a wonderful thing. And the title is sort of a, a double meaning. Yeah. And, um, really great one. Really great one. Lots of fun. Also recommend her um, movie Mikey and Nikki. Yes, Mikey and Nikki is great. Mm. I also, I haven't seen Ishtar. You know, that's the movie that sort of famously ruined her either. career. <laughs> but it's getting quite a bit of reappraisal over the past few years. I mean, uh, there are a lot of people that are going back to Ishtar and saying, this movie is actually quite brilliant. Okay. You know. <laughs> we weren't ready for it or something. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I, I'm interested in seeing all of her movies, frankly. So. Me too. Okay, so from light and charming to kind of dark and gritty here, this is the one that you guessed. Ah, so mad. My Cronenberg pick that I saw for the first time this year is Eastern Promises. All right. From Which 2007. I have not seen. No, you haven't? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, too bad that I cannot recall most of the plot of this one. <laughs> Again, sorry. Like movie. I said, I, have, I mean, recalling it's a, the plot. It's not... <laughs> it's not really though. It's like I said, it's very dark and gritty. Really, all I'm remembering right now is the fight in the sauna where Vigo Mortensen is naked fighting two guys, which is the most memorable scene from this movie. <laughs> My wife I, might like it. Then my wife has it in for Vigo Mortensen. She loves him. Oh, oh, and and the dirtier he is, the better. Yes. Okay. 
covered in tattoos. Yeah. He's like a gangster in this movie. Yeah, she'd be into it, yeah. I think. Yeah, it was funny because, okay, when it comes to Viggo Mortensen, when she saw the Lord of the Rings, she was like, oh, because, you know, he's bearded and he's got, <laughs> string, you know, he's all sweaty all the time and dirty. Yeah. Then she saw something else. It was like 28 days or something like that. And she goes, oh, whatever. <laughs> she was like, like, is that the same guy? No, I like it better when he's in the other one. Yeah. She'd be into him in this one. All right. Fair enough. All right. So it also stars uh, Naomi Watts. Her character is Anna. Okay. The basic story here is that she's a midwife. She finds this Russian diary on a teenage girl who passed away in childbirth. Something's not right with what happened to this girl. It, it leads her to this Russian restaurant, which is owned by gangsters. It gets into, like I said, it's very dark and gritty. It gets into like sex trafficking and all that kind of stuff, which is definitely a bummer. But I don't know. I just, I really love the way that's played out. Like very different than I was expecting from Cronenberg movie. It's very, oh, yeah. it's very grounded and real and it's cold, but very realistic in its portrayal of the Russian mob. I remember like kind of reading that it was praised for like being so real and like um just talking about like the tattoos mm-hmm. that the mobsters have. Like it seems like he went the extra mile to make this again feel real. Mm-hmm. And Viggo Mortensen's amazing as Nikolai. He's uh, the main guy who owns the restaurant. He's his hitman and the bodyguard to his son Kirill. I think is who is uh, Vincent Cassell, mm-hmm. who's amazing in this movie. It's just all the interplay between uh, Naomi Watts trying to find this girl's family, find out what really happened to her. She has a Russian uncle who helps her translate the diary and she reveals how she got up and with uh, the sex traffickers. Bummer subject matter, yes, but just really brilliantly played out. I was really into it. It was very good. Cronenberg in horror circles, I feel like he gets pigeonholed as a body horror director. And he's yeah. Like, that was part of his career. You know, that was the beginning, but he has reinvented himself so much. I mean, after The Fly, he had a blank check, essentially, right? And what does he make? He makes Dead Ringers. He makes movies like M. Butterfly and Crash, which, yes, deal with the body, but in a very different way. They're not, you know, I'm turning into a monster kinds of movies. It's something else. And then, you know, like a history of violence and the... I love a history of violence. Yeah. And, the, and another Vigo. And he did a few yep. movies. Vigo sort of became his muse for a little while there. And that was... I love that. Yeah. You know, and I love it when a director and an actor clearly like to work together and they make mm-hmm. a series of films together. You know, I mean, that's where you get magic between like Scorsese and De Niro, for example. Mm-hmm. Some of their best movies are the ones they did together. And I think there's something to be said about that collaboration between Viggo Mortensen and David Cronenberg, because they also did the one about Freud and Jung, too, I, I, which I haven't oh, seen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A Dangerous yeah. Method. Yeah, I saw Dangerous that method, this year, too. Yeah, yeah I've, I mean, Cronenberg, for me, is, is he's actually one of the directors that I'm wanting to do a full watch through of. I want to watch all of his films in order, just like I did with Craven in 2020. Yep. I want to do that with Cronenberg. I want to do that with Kurosawa. You know, I, I just want to see how these directors evolved Mm -hmm. over time. And I think Cronenberg is probably one of the more fascinating ones to watch that progression with because his movies changed so much. Yeah, I was not expecting this at all. I mean, I would compare it probably the most to History of Violence, not just for the the Vigo thing, but just that it's a, like I said, more grounded it's very brutal and violent and in that way, you know, that he kind of can be with his movies. 
but it's just so in your face with the realism that you can't look away. Yeah, and it's like, who knew that the guy who made the movie about alien sex parasites would make... <laughs> right. Would, would do that, right? You know? Yeah. I would say this is probably one of my favorite ones from him now, Eastern Promises. Yeah. It's been on my list. It's one that... Uh, there's so many movies on the list, right? No, of course. Always. All right. My next choice is a little on the gritty side, too, but surprising and emotional, too. And that is from... 2021, directed by Michael Cernoski, Pig, uh, starring, okay. <laughs> starring Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Cage, yeah. Cage gives one of his very best performances ever yep. in this. It's not a performance that's a full Cage performance, you know. It's not screaming in the bathroom in Mandy. It's not A, B, C, D, you know, in Vampire's Kiss or any of that. But <laughs> what it is, is a extremely emotional portrayal of a man we know almost nothing about at the beginning of the movie. And the way this movie was marketed, it made it look like, hey, someone stole his pig and now he's Rambo in the woods yeah. you know, seeking this out. And that is not this movie at all again it's about art and creativity and doing what you love rather than what will get you success yep i mean the scene between him and sort of his protege you know the guy who uh, at the who, restaurant his, his, yeah. his sous chef you know from years before who he fired after two months that was like my favorite scene oh my gosh i find myself just turning this movie on you know not necessarily sitting down and watching it it's not very long i mean but just catching these moments for from it again mm -hmm. and you're just like oh that scene in the restaurant and then you know the scene where he serves dinner to a particular person at the end and, and they just break down i almost started crying at that part. Yeah. yeah when i realized what was happening oh god that got to me so bad yeah just because <laughs> of this food this food brings mm -hmm. alive this memory it's it's a little bit like i know you haven't seen it but in ratatouille <laughs> I mean, it always it reminds me a little bit of Ratatouille, where the critic, you know, takes a bite of this food and is just suddenly transported to this other place. Uh -huh. It's kind of like that, but not in not. It's different. I mean, it's you can just see this person kind of melt into that moment. Mm -hmm. He was threatening Nick Cage's life a few minutes ago, and now he's he's crying. He's crying because he served him a meal you know i mean it's mm -hmm. it's yeah. like nothing i've ever seen it was completely unexpected i sought this movie out i drove 45 minutes to see it in the theater and the one theater it was playing near me at all and i was so glad i did that granted the other people in the theater i could hear people get up walk out and go what the hell was that which i kind of understand which i do too because it definitely does not go where you are led to believe that it will go but i love where it went i love how different it was and again you know that last scene where he's just taking his boots off at the end of the movie mm -hmm. and there's there's a certain something that is playing is just so powerful and as a fan of that artist, that really got to me too. I mean, yeah. this movie, it, it's impossible to describe. Go in not it expecting, <laughs> not knowing what to expect because it's so much better. Just kind of know the setup and don't read anything else about it at all. Yeah. And just know it's probably not what you think it's going to be. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> that scene in the restaurant, the truth bomb that he lays on that guy with the way that he delivers it with such sincerity. Mm -hmm. And you can see the reaction on the guy's face. He, uh, that's so good. And he just kind of <laughs> blurts so out what a signature dish would have been, you know, because it's yes. still <laughs> so near the surface. It's so still in his heart, right? Yes. 
Oh, it's so... <laughs> I mean, that scene alone, I think, is one of the proofs of what quiet, independent filmmaking is capable of doing that you just can't do in big films. And this is also a great food movie. I mean, we were talking about yeah. food movies earlier in the year, right? There's a movie that I really want to talk about, and you're like, I can't think of a food movie. I, you, you came <laughs> up with it, I think, from something you saw this year. But, yes, um, I did. But something about movies like that, where you can almost taste what they're tasting and just sense what the smells and the feelings. And it's so beautiful and well done. And just what the pig ultimately means in everything is just so simple and sweet and wonderful. Yeah. This is the movie I've actually put on the most. I haven't sat and necessarily watched it the whole time every time, but I just find myself just hitting play on it a lot. Even if I'm doing something else, it, those moments still catch me. And I, I just have to stop and I watch. And it's a beautiful movie. It is an absolutely it beautiful is. movie. I loved it. Yeah. Okay. So the next one you might have to help me with a little bit because uh, you just watched it very recently. There's a ton of classic movies that I saw for the first time this year. Uh, so many I could have gone on my list, but a huge one that really had an impact was uh, Fritz Lang's The Big Heat. Yes. Mm -hmm. From 1953. Mm -hmm. um, I watched it several months ago. One thing that just kind of stuck with me about this was how, again, with like not at all what I was expecting in, in the brutality, I think maybe for the time. Even though it's noir, even though it's it's Fritz yeah. Lang. So I was kind of thinking like, oh, maybe this is going to be a little bit more edgy than what I'm used to. Like this got me with shock after shock. Mm -hmm. And oh, I was so into it. It stars Glenn Ford, who is a cop who's investigating the suicide of uh, another officer. His wife has, I guess, kind of like a blackmail envelope that uh, her husband had. Like, I'm not remembering the intricacies again. <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, I just watched but it there's... yesterday and I'm not remembering the intricacies <laughs> of it because it's a complicated film. I mean, the plot is complicated. Yeah. It's more about the feeling anyway, I think. Yeah. yeah. There's like a crime syndicate in the city that he gets warned over and over again, you know, like not to go mm -hmm. up against. And he kind of gets uh, certain people hurt in oh, trouble. Gosh, isn't that heartbreaking? That's <laughs> um, heartbreaking. That was... Yeah. The biggest, biggest shock because watching it, you're watching the the interplay between um, him and his wife, who's played by uh, Jocelyn Brando, Marlon Brando's sister. Just watching them together, just in their quiet scenes at home, I was like, oh my gosh, this is one of the best couples I've seen in a movie. And she's so awesome. And they just have a great relationship together. And I love her. And then what the hell? <laughs> what did, why did this movie have to go and do that? You know, like that was the biggest shock moment. And then, of course, we have on the criminal side of the story, we have Lee Marvin, oh, who's gosh, a terrifying. dick. Maybe like I told you. He's, he's scary. He's a dick. Gloria Graham mm -hmm. is his girl. She's kind of a badass, too, like dealing with the mobsters and not really taking any shit from them. But it's Lee Marvin. Mm. And he sucks. And there's another like famous scene, you know, between the two of them where he throws a pot of coffee in her face. Yes. Which I was just like, damn, okay, this movie is continually just like going there. When I posted that I was yes. watching this, at least two people commented, watch out for the coffee pot. It's like, yep. <laughs> now <okay>. you know why. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also kind of like too is that again, with the main character being flawed, like he kind of sucks mm -hmm. because he's getting people in trouble. He, like he, okay, 
So the big twist at the beginning is that his wife is killed. Yeah. And how she is killed is just, uh, that's heartbreaking. But then it's like the rest it of the It reminded me kind of of The Godfather and The Godfather Part yeah. 2, you know? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, that whole thing where it's like, you attacked me in my home, in my bedroom yeah. where my wife sleeps. You know, that whole thing. Um, yeah. But seemed to have a particular influence upon The Godfather. And, yeah. You know? <laughs> but, you know, obviously that was the thing that was Stop. done. Stop. You're giving things away. I won't say more. <laughs> But then, like, for the rest of the movie, it's almost like he's forgotten about that, you know, at some point, too, because mm-hmm. he kind of... I know. Because af- <laughs> after the thing with the coffee pot, Gloria Graham is like, fuck you, leave Marvin, and I'm going to help out this other guy. Yeah. He kind of puts her up in a hotel room, and it's like, hey, you remember your wife <laughs> and your kid it's a different kind of dark movie i loved this i think it was just the way that it shocked me for the time i just i wasn't expecting uh, a lot of the plot twists that happened and oh, one of my favorites that i watched this year fritz lang is sort of i think he's kind of to noir what hitchcock is to a different kind of movie he's kind of the master of of that genre in a lot of ways even though he doesn't get a lot of credit for being a great noir director even some of his early films like m have kind of that feeling to them you know they're Mm. gritty and urban and and just dark stuff you know they really will go to dark places and as a craftsman he's impeccable one of the auteurs really it's hard to watch a Fritz Lang movie and go, I don't know who directed this because you can just tell. I mean, it's him. I mean, he's, he's just got a style. He's really one of the more fascinating directors of his generation. Lots of really good movies. Yep, this one really just really got to me. But mostly just for the stuff with the main character and his wife. Ugh, it's killed me. That was the most emotionally <laughs> resonant element to me mm-hmm. as well. It's interesting that people talk about, oh, I don't like the main characters. Like, so what? Watch some noir yeah. Watch Nightmare Alley, watch The Big Heat. You don't like the main characters. They're not good people. That's the thing. That's kind of the point of them. I like it more Um, when I don't really like the main character. There's more to to get into. There's more meat to the story. There's an episode of Voir that's on Netflix. V-O-I-R. And Drew McQueenie's episode is all about protagonists that we don't like. And it was really insightful. And frankly, if I could ever write something a tenth that good, I'd be very happy. That was my personal favorite, though I think uh, Walter Chaw's episode is amazing. That whole series is pretty good. But I think that idea of the unlikable protagonist is always fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And so when people use as criticism, why would you want to spend time with such unlikable people? I'm like, that's not really a criticism to me. I've seen too many Martin Scorsese movies. And he gets that, I think, a lot from people of the noir era, like Fritz Lang and Turner and others that were making movies during this era where, you know, your protagonists are just not nice people. It's more interesting that way. Yeah. Way more interesting. Okay, so my next choice, the protagonist is definitely a nice person, though, okay. i got to say. From 1974, Paul Mazursky's Harry and Tonto, starring Art Carney as a widower who his home is getting torn down. And so he ends up going on a cross-country road trip with his cat, Tonto. <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's to visit his children, you know, along the way. Okay. I mean, the people that he runs into include Ellen Burstyn, Larry Hagman. For me, okay, <laughs> this may be my favorite road movie I've ever seen. Ah, that's saying something. This was the only movie all year 
that on first watch I gave five stars to. And it's my number four. The others kind of grew. This one was just like instantly touched me. This relationship with this old man and his damn cat that just like makes you all gooey and emotional. And it's a moving, beautiful film. It reminds me a little bit of The Straight Story, you know, David Lynch's film. Kind of the old guy who's flawed, but kind of wise, you know, just because of his years. Just running into people along the way. I love stories like that. Yeah, it was just like a main character and like all the people he meets along the way on his journey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into that stuff. Ironically, I heard about this movie because I was listening to another show. I think they were doing an episode on Jack Nicholson. Like, oh, Jack Nicholson should have won the Oscar that year. And blah, 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 blah. Who are the other nominees? Blah, 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 blah. And who won? Uh, Art Carney for Harry and Tonto? That's stupid. They hadn't seen the movie. They hadn't (laughs) seen the movie. Okay. And then literally days later, Brian Sauer was talking about this movie on Pure Cinema or Just the Discs. And he was talking about it so glowingly. And I was like, okay, I got to see this. I got to track this down. I had to buy it in like a set, a DVD set that also that had like four other movies in it. It wasn't that expensive. It was like 20 bucks for all of them. But on its own, it's like really expensive. But for whatever reason in that set, it was not. And so I bought it. And yes, Art Carney deserved to win Best Actor that year. This is one of the most stunning performances. Yes, it's a late stage performance by an actor known as a comedian. And we talked about this in a previous episode, right? We talked about this in our Scrooged episode, where when you see comedians do a dramatic turn, it's so surprising and often so authentic. Mm-hmm. And I would compare this every bit to Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting or to Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. It's that good of a performance, that great of a performance. And for a great comedic actor to do a turn like this, that is simply one of the best of the 70s. And that's saying a lot because we all know how great movies in the 70s were. The best. Yeah. And so this movie, absolutely magnificent. This is one I could definitely turn on and just have playing over and over again because it just gives you nice feelings and that sounds very sweet yeah yeah Yeah, it's a wonderful film you say it's kind of like the straight story which almost made my list Mm -hmm. i took it off because i already recommended it before but it was definitely one of my favorites that i saw this year uh yeah i'd be into it if it's like that yeah i took coronico (laughs) off my list too because i had already talked about it yeah and and, and jeremy as well so i mean those might have ended up on my list if i hadn't already talked about them My next one is the one I was kind of teasing to you the other day, the one I forgot about that I had to put back on the list. I was so excited to recommend this. And then just the other day, I was listening to bring up Pure Cinema again. I was listening to their LA movies episode. And when Elric started kind of teasing what his number one was, I was like, no, I know exactly what he's going to say, because it's like one of my favorite movies I saw this year, too. Uh, This is 52 Pickup. From 1986. Now, this movie was directed by John Frankenheimer. Mm -hmm. It's a canon film. It's a canon film. You know what? I was watching this yesterday. You were? I wasn't able to finish it, but I turned it on yesterday. Bro. And I watched uh, about the first. Let me me just keep going for a second here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I said, Frankenheimer, Mm -hmm. canon film, starring Roy Scheider Mm -hmm. 
and it's based on an Elmer Leonard novel. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't need to say any more, really, to uh, entice most people to want to watch this movie. But I will, because it's amazing. So, Scheider, who, again, I think I said previously, I've just been recently been catching up on more of his movies yeah. when I only really knew him from Jaws. And, like, fuck, Ray Scheider was the best at everything. He is Harry Mitchell, and he works in, like, the construction industry. He invented some kind of explosive, or he's got a patent on it or whatever. His wife is Anne Margaret, who is in local politics, and she's uh, running for office. And one night, Scheider is kidnapped by like these three guys in mass who show him a video. They have proof that he's been cheating on his wife with this young sex worker named Cinny, played by Kelly Preston. And they blackmail him for like random number, $105,000 a year, you know, with this tape. But he's not going to play into them, you know? He's like, oh, I'm not going to be blackmailed by that. And then it kind of takes an even darker turn when they show him another videotape that they've done recently. Another movie that I watched this year was Hardcore Mm -hmm. with George C. Scott, where it's the guy getting involved in a world that he knows nothing about. Like, they're both talking about the the sex work industry, basically, in these. And he gets into it, like, just to try to find out who these guys are that are blackmailing him. So he kind of gets in the world of that. And there's, like, a weird scene where he goes to a place where, like, apparently you you go there and you can just take pictures of women. (laughs) Like, guys would pay for that. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Eventually, he finds out who they are. One of them is John Glover, mm-hmm. who um, I mentioned before. He was in Scrooged. He's kind of the, the main guy. So much different than in Scrooge because he's not a good guy, obviously, in this. One of the best scenes that kind of made me <laughs> a big fan of this movie, too, was before when they're kind of revealing who the blackmailers are. It's a party scene. You meet Cinny and and her friend that Roy Scheider also kind of gets information from to, to figure out, like, who these guys are. But, like, real porn stars make cameos <laughs> mm-hmm. in those scenes. And that's, like, what I'm into. So I was watching it. I was like, that's Amber Lynn. And that's Tom Byron and Jamie Gillis. And I think Dron Jeremy makes an appearance at one point, too. So I was into it from that, but I just kind of love too that it's again it doesn't really play out like you expect because uh, Roy Scheider's character is really working hard to not let these guys bully him around, even though he does confess to his wife about cheating. Obviously, he doesn't want to pay them, and there's a great scene too that I uh, again wasn't really expecting where he gets Jungle over the main guy because they're asking for $105,000 and they think that he has it because he's got this patent on this invention that he's made. And he actually sits down the main blackmail guy and has him look at his books and is like, look, I don't have this money. Mm-hmm. I only have $52,000 that I could pay you, which is where the 52 pickup comes in. And then that's how he kind of sows discord among the blackmailers because only the main guy, John Glover, knows that he only has $52,000 and not what they're asking for. But again, they're not criminal masterminds either. So their interplay is really funny to watch. Uh, I love these kinds of movies where it's action and it's funny at times and dark at times. And then it's got a great ending having to do with his invention that you'll absolutely love. Uh, It was such a cool movie. It's so much fun. I don't know if I explained it very well, but... I think it's enough to sort of whet the appetite and be interesting to to see. It's on Amazon Prime. It's easy to find, so... Yeah, it was streaming when I watched it, so hopefully it's still there. Yeah, it is. As of yesterday, it was. Cool. From what I saw of it, I'm definitely intrigued. Okay, my next choice is a movie that actually has probably the lowest rating... No, it is the lowest rating on my list, because it is flawed. The ending, I'm not sure quite entirely works but 
this movie really got under my skin. I saw it twice, two nights in a row. And that's Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Ah, yes. The setup for this movie is practically flawless. I mean, the way it rolls out is just really fascinating. You have Thomason McKenzie as Eloise Turner. She's a sort of aspiring fashion designer. She ends up going to the London College of Fashion, and she doesn't really fit in in the dorms, so she decides to get a room on her own, and she takes a job at a bar in order to be able to afford that. So she rents this place from Miss. Mrs. Collins, played by Diana Rigg, you know, the legendary Diana Rigg. And the first night she's in there, you don't know if it's a dream or if it's real or what is exactly going on, but she finds herself in 1964. She looks in the mirror and she's Anya Taylor-Joy. And it does a beautiful job of switching back and forth. There's a little bit of Poltergeist 3 feeling in that, um, you know, in the mirror stuff. And she sort of lives through the eyes of this woman, Sandy, and slowly starts to reveal more and more of who this person is. She wants to be a singer. She's told, hey, by Jack, played by Matt Smith of Doctor Who fame, that he is going to make her a singing star. But things are not always as they seem. And there's a lot of great twists and turns in this movie. I think it's very stylish. And Eloise, she's sort of an empath, uh, sort of a medium, you know, but doesn't really know how to control any of that stuff. The stuff just kind of happens to her and she doesn't necessarily know sometimes what's real and what isn't, which is really fascinating. And as an audience, you kind of feel the same way. You don't necessarily know what's real and what isn't. Like I said, the final reveal, I'm not sure it entirely works, but it's compelling and interesting anyway i've read a a really chad collins wrote a really interesting article on the ending for dread central please don't read it unless you've seen the movie (laughs) but uh i don't know i i was just really fascinated by this movie of all the movies i saw in the theater it's the one that really kind of got into my soul a little bit it got under my skin it It affected me in ways I didn't expect it to. You know, people are saying things like, oh, it's Edgar Wright's take on Jalo. It's like, I don't really see it that way. It's something else. It's kind of a ghost story. It's kind of a time travel story. It's (laughs) you just kind of got to see it and experience it. I was wondering that, like, what is it? And and the thing is, I don't want to tell you because I don't want to give it away. (laughs) Okay. And that's the thing. I don't want to say more because... I don't want to give it away. Um, The music is fantastic. You know, everyone talks about how great Quentin Tarantino is with music, with needle drops and stuff like that in his movies. And he is. But I think I prefer Edgar Wright (laughs) of the modern ones. I mean, Scorsese is my personal favorite when it comes to that, when it comes to a lot of things, frankly. But um, (laughs) but gosh, this movie, I mean, the musical uses are just brilliant. And it just really drops you into that time and that space. And Terrence Stamp is wonderful in oh, snap. this I don't know how he was in it. small role that is very strange and kind of sinister, but kind of something else. It's great. I mean, so much of what is great about this movie is so great. You know, I mean, it just kind of goes and goes and goes, and you're not really sure what you're in for when you first see it. And it's better that way. I was very confused about what this movie was really about just from, like, what I saw of it. And now you're confusing Mm -hmm. me even more. But that's making me more intrigued to watch it. I love that. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's really... 
it's really a just you just got to see it movie. Yeah, and I tried to. It was only in my theaters for like a week. I missed it. Uh, Ugh, I want to check this out so bad. I am so bummed that this movie didn't really find an audience. Yeah, I think it will on video and on streaming. I think people are going to go, oh. I really think it's going to find its audience there. I don't think a lot of people got a chance to see it. Yeah, I know. And the thing is, from just like a sound design and just from a visual perspective, seeing it in the theater was... That's the reason why I went back the next night to see it again, because it was like, I just want to experience it that way again Mm -hmm. before I can't. And it turned out it wasn't long before I couldn't, uh, because it just wasn't in the theater very long. And I was lucky enough to be able to do that, so... Uh, I hope people seek it out and give it a chance because it really is. It's Edgar Wright's horror movie. You know, I mean, you could say Shaun of the Dead is his horror movie, too. But I mean, Shaun of the Dead is so different than this. I haven't seen Edgar Wright do a movie quite like this. It's hard to explain really anything about it without giving it away. Okay. I found it extremely compelling. I immediately was like, I got to own this movie. And so I've got the 4K on pre-order, but uh, unfortunately it doesn't come out for until like the middle of January. But I'm just excited to see it again because I was really affected uh. by it. it. Like I said, it got under my skin despite sort of its flaws. And I feel the same way a little bit about something like A Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street is a little wacky <laughs> at times. And we talked about that in our episode, <laughs> that there are flaws in that movie that are just kind of like, what? Yeah. That's weird. But then for some reason, it just sort of sticks with me and gets under my skin. And I love it all the more in some ways because of some of its sort of quirks and weirdnesses and things that maybe don't quite work entirely the first time, you know. Um, so I don't know. That That's a weird way of describing it but i don't know how else to describe it without really spoiling it you don't need to i'm i'm already hooked i'm so excited to see this sounds good we're getting down close to the end here and we got two more left yeah all right so my next one is another kind of classic noir that i saw for the first time one that just absolutely killed me especially with one of the main actors performances detour from 1945 yeah i just saw this too i remember seeing our friend jessica scott mention this Mm -hmm. a lot on twitter like this was one that she always seems to recommend a lot as her favorite noir maybe i don't know if it's her favorite i don't want to say that but she ones she was really like gunning for so i was like okay definitely i will see it and admittedly it wasn't working for me at first. I was wondering where she was going with that. I was like, why is this like one of her favorites? Because it's not super interesting at first. It's this guy. He's traveling across country. He's hitchhiking, actually, across country from New York to L.A. to go meet up with his girlfriend who went out to Hollywood to be famous. He doesn't have a lot of money, so he's hitchhiking. And he starts out like a diner. Something's going on with him. He has a bad reaction to like a song that he hears or reminds him of his girlfriend. But one day he's picked up by this guy named Charles Haskell Jr. And he's kind of an interesting character. You kind of expect that the bad guy in the movie is going to be him mm-hmm. <laughs> or he's going to be the main antagonist because he's a bookie. He's popping pills the whole time, but they still have kind of a good rapport. So I was, I was like, well, what's going on here? And then he dies. Mm-hmm. And it's like a really interesting scene where he just like uh, the main guy is Al Roberts. He opens the door and the guy just falls out, and hits his head on a rock. Falls and apparently out, yeah. <laughs> he's uh-huh. dead. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was yep. like, okay. But then he takes the guy's wallet and his clothes and everything and his car. And he basically is going to take his identity because he doesn't have a whole lot himself. So, but it really makes a turn when he picks up a woman named Vera. Now he's actually trying to be Charles Haskell Jr. He picks up Vera, who is Anne Savage, who, my God, she like a thousand percent lives up to her name and her performance in this movie. She is fucking amazing. She has a look that is just daggers in her eyes the whole movie. Her performance, her line delivery, I was like, this girl is serving it to this guy because she knows the the guy that Roberts is pretending to be. So she knows that it's not him. And so she wants the money that he took off of him. And then when they get to LA, they're going to sell his car because she's trying to play it as like, I don't want you to get caught for, you know, this guy dying. So we're going to sell his car. I want the money from the car. And so she kind of keeps him close by. Like he just wants to go to his girlfriend, but he's got to deal with this because he's going to be on the hook maybe for this guy's murder, possibly. Even though he hit his head on a rock, you know, maybe it could look like murdered him or something. I loved Anne Savage so much. Like, she's killed me in this movie. She's so good. Very savage, like I said. Mm-hmm. Her performance is, like, one of the best I've ever seen. They end up getting, like, a hotel room or a little apartment together. They're pretending to be married, like, while they wait on the sale of the car. And then she also comes up with this other scheme because Haskell's father is on the brink of death and he's looking for his long lost son that he hasn't seen in a while to get an inheritance. So she's like, oh, well, you're going to keep pretending to be this guy and we can get even more money. So she kind of keeps him in her web, you know, because of that. And just their interactions while they're just kind of like biding their time. They hate each other, obviously. The performances just absolutely killed me. And then the ending with her character, I was just blown away. This yeah. is a great, great movie. One of the things that was weird is I wasn't sure if I'd seen this before. And I watched huh? it. And I was along for the ride. And it's like, yeah, I think this is new to me. Then I got to the end. It's like, wait a minute. I have seen this. Because that ending yeah? was just like so memorable. So it's like, maybe I have seen this. <laughs> I didn't have letterboxed when I saw it, obviously, because it wasn't logged. But yeah, this is a really great noir. One of the sort of epitomes of noir. Yeah. When people think of that subgenre or that genre, this is one of the movies that gets listed, right? <laughs> I mean, this is up there with Double Indemnity or some of the others. Even though this is not, you know, like a prestige director, you know, <laughs> making yeah. a film. This I don't even know who this guy Billy is. Wilder or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those sort of B-movie versions of that that is mm-hmm. really one of the best examples of it, though. But it takes a while to get there. So if it you're does. watching this for the first time, like I was, I was wondering, I was like, there's nothing really cool about this yet. I think when Anne Savage comes on screen is when it just, it really amps it up because she steals everything. I adored her in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's really a great film. Definitely next on my uh, Criterion wish list of blu-rays to get excellent yeah because i watched it i got a crappy dvd from netflix (laughs) oh when i rented it so i I gotta see this in a better version and i just want to see it again (laughs) yeah i i checked it out from the library and it was the criterion edition but it was the dvd so you know which still looks pretty good okay so my next choice gosh this movie just really affected me deeply on kind of a personal level because the father and daughter element of it especially and that is from 2018 
Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Oh, yay. This was a movie I'd heard about, obviously, for a couple years now. And I watched it. And as soon as it ended, I wrote to my wife and said, I have a movie that we need to watch together. So we watched it together like the next day. And both of us were just so deeply affected by it because, okay, Elsie Fisher plays Kayla, an eighth grade girl who is going through it, you know? Yeah. It's it's like the last week of school of her eighth grade year. She has all these hopes, dreams, goals, and nothing is going right. She ends up making a connection. It's a middle school, high school system. We have junior high where I live, so it's 7th, 8th, and ninth grade is the mm-hmm. junior high level, you know, so high school doesn't start till 10th grade, but this is a 6th, 7th, 8th grade school, so, so she'd be going to high school, <laughs> yeah. So did my wife, and a lot of people have that. But she connects with these high school kids, and at first that's great, the one girl especially. They seem to really genuinely like each other, but I love yeah. one of the things that when they're at the food court, that I find so funny, it's like, wait a minute, did your generation, I mean, this is like two years before them, right? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> did your generation have Snapchat or something like that? It's like, <laughs> you know, this whole idea that the changes are happening in society so fast that within, you know, four years, you're already in a different generation from the next group, right? And there's a lot of that in this. But for me, the heart of the movie is really the relationship between Kayla and her father, Mark. And that ending scene, when she says something like, are you disappointed in me or something like that? And he just says, wait, what? Yeah. Because during the whole movie, he's trying so hard to connect with his daughter. And she's always got her headphones in and she's always on her Mm -hmm. phone and she's always alone. And Sorry. And he just wants in so bad. Yeah. And he just doesn't know how. And so that ending scene just really touched me, you know, and my daughter is in eighth grade and going through it, you know, like I think most eighth grade girls are. Mm. And so just that element of it in particular just moved me so much. But then also, you know, just even in now in my 40s, I remember being in eighth grade and being the overweight kid and you go to the pool party and you sort of hold your hands over yourself because you don't want people to really look at you Mm -hmm. and you you all of that stuff just feels so authentic not just to now but to like the continuum of everyone feeling that way for a long time i think that is something that can be related to beyond generations right Mm -hmm. and so um sorry i got a little emotional there (laughs) (laughs) but uh this movie it really touched me and I was surprised by how much it moved me and how, how much of my own daughter in particular, I kind of saw in Kayla and I tell you what her performance. Oh my God. I mean, Elsie Fisher in this is, that's just a beautiful performance. Yes. It's so authentic. I mean, she just is, I mean, it feels effortless. It feels like this yeah, yeah. Is, she's not acting. She's just being, and that is right for a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on, on a personal note, especially during lockdown, my daughter has been very isolated. She spent a lot of time closing herself off, and that's changed over the past several weeks and after about a month or so. And we were at dinner the other day, and we're going on Christmas break here, and she said, Dad... Can we spend time together this break? Oh, God. Oh, my God. (laughs) And frankly, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. I'm going to see West Side Story with her today. 
and it will be the first time I've ever taken just her and I to a movie. You know, my boys, we do that all the time, but for some reason that has just never happened with her. And I think that sums up why this movie affects me so much. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. No, I'm totally with eighth you. Grade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I had known you hadn't seen this, I totally would have recommended it to you before yeah. just for those reasons. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say, too, is her performance. Elsie Fisher absolutely nails that awkwardness and that trying to be cool and just not quite getting there her youtube channel that she has you know in the in that the movie gets no views gets no views and she's telling her you know quote unquote viewers like all these platitudes that she can't believe herself you know and just go be outgoing and like you know make friends that way she can't do that you know she's just she's yeah. not that kind of person uh, yeah she absolutely killed me I, there was definitely times i was watching it where i was like oh my god i remember feeling that way yeah. um she's not a bad person she's not super uncool she's just not in the group and like that's why yeah. yeah i do love the relationship she has with the high school she like takes a tour of the high school and like the girl mm -hmm. who uh shows her around i believe that yeah they do really like her and she has a yeah. moment where somebody sees her for just a moment and like yeah. accepts her for who she is and that's an amazing feeling to have yeah i feel like that relationship with the girl is genuine yeah it is unfortunately there's also the guy that wants <laughs> to take advantage of her and yeah. she and you see her strength in that scene there's a very scary potentially a scary, scary scene very yeah. potentially scary scene yeah with her and that guy in the car you know and as a dad that terrified me yeah you too and geez my wife she really you know was affected by that scene too and we've mm. talked about why that would be previous episodes but it's just there's yeah. so much uh, <laughs> going on in this movie and that little box where she keeps all yeah. of her goals that she had you know for her middle school years you know and then the result of that is just like so heartbreaking there's so much of this movie that just feels so authentic and i think yeah. that's probably the word for it i think that's why it touched a lot of people is it's just its <sighs> authenticity it uh, feels so real it feels like somebody who lived this as this character yeah. you know really got into all those awkward moments with your parents mm -hmm. and with other kids <laughs> the thing with the bananas <laughs> oh yeah i mean there's like funny moments like that too but yeah the relationship with her dad and you can really feel him just wanting to be like he's in. such a dork you know and he's, he's such, such a Dork, dork. But, uh, he's trying but, so hard and he's just like uh, trying to be he's trying to be cool just like she trying, is yeah, trying to be cool yeah and she's like oh dad come on jeez but i get that yeah that scene at the end they're doing like a bonfire thing when, at the end right yeah yeah uh, yeah killed me that's the one time where their mom is brought up and that's so sad too and it, this movie kind of leaves me speechless to be honest mm -hmm. okay great choice i'm glad you uh, saw that all right, so this is the last one. Last pick. You yeah. ready? Mm -hmm. Like I said, I didn't rank these, but this is probably my favorite movie. Again, an, a movie with a lot of heart, but in a different way. Maybe more uh, happy heart, some comedy. 
Tampopo is probably oh. my favorite movie that I watched this year from 1985. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. I don't know. It just put me in a really, really good mood. The plot of this is a little bit weird, too. Again, like the main story is that there are these two truck drivers and they stop one day at this rundown like noodle shop. There's a little boy that's being bullied by his classmates and they kind of intervene. And like he's the son of the owner of this noodle shop, a woman named Tampopo. They just get involved with her. The whole movie is them helping her create the best bowl of ramen ever, you know, to kind of revive <laughs> her noodle shop. I don't know how else to describe it. It's very sweet. It's the ramen she, Western. It's the ramen Western. Yeah. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly of ramen <laughs> movies. Yeah. Yeah. They visit her competitors, you know, to learn like what they're doing right. And they sort of sneakily learn like recipe secrets from them the movie makes you so hungry with all the ramen that oh, you, you see get made and then all the, all, the, all the noodles and the meat okay mm. that's the main story of her trying to revive her noodle shop and be proud another food like we were talking about with pig to be proud of your work your art her art is food is making uh-huh. ramen and like that's what she's trying to do but then there's also these little vignettes that are interspersed throughout that are also about food Obviously, the one that is the most memorable is the couple who is using food in a very erotic, they say, erotic, erotic, sexy sexy way. Cannot forget the scene where they're passing an egg yolk back and forth to each other in their mouths. And then there's also uh, one, one that I, love I really like. the one liked. with the woman who's squeezing all the food. Yeah. I love that one. I there's love an that older one. lady likes... in a grocery store, like, squeezing yeah. all the food, and the clerk is, like, chasing her around. Yeah. I like the one. I don't know what it is. It's, like, some kind of big meeting that these guys are having at a French yeah. restaurant. And one mm-hmm. guy is just kind of showing up his bosses with how much he knows about French cuisine and everything. There's a group of women that are learning etiquette of how to eat spaghetti. And I kind of like this because it's because it's really different from the Japanese culture is different. Like slurping noodles and making a lot of noises is like a sign of respect to the chef. And they kind of bring that up. You know, don't do that in America. That's that's really weird. (laughs) I kind of liked that contrast. If you know that about. Oh, the woman that like comes back from the dead to make one last meal for her family. (laughs) It's a very joyous movie again. This put me in a really good mood. Ah, I love Tampopo. Definitely my favorite movie that I watched this year. And when you were watching it, it was during the Criterion sale. I went on and I bought this movie straight away because <laughs> I've seen it before. Now, when I saw it, I knew about the A story. I knew that there was sort of this, mm-hmm. you know, ramen Western thing that they were doing. And I had seen a couple of clips from it and I thought that looks really cool. I had no idea about all the little interstitial shorts that are in yeah. it. I had no idea. So when that started happening, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> it's never really explained. No, it just starts happening. All of a sudden, you just shift the scene and go into this other world. And I had no idea that was going to happen. And it put me off a little at first. I was like, wait, what's going on? But then as I <laughs> sunk into the movie, I started looking forward to them. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because they were just these... <laughs> What's the couple going to do next? <laughs> yeah. There's just these bizarre things that were starting to be shown, just these different facets of food. And it's wonderful. It's so mm-hmm. good. And I'm so glad I picked this one up and I'm excited to watch it again. And spoiler alert, we're going to talk about this one more in depth. <laughs> At some point this year, at a particular point this year, along with my choice that I've been dying to talk about. This is one of the first movies I brought up. 
yeah, uh, for is. us to talk about was uh, the movie that we're going to put with this one. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, this is a terrific choice. Now that you say it, I'm like, yeah, that's the obvious number one. And I <laughs> think I know what you left off. That is also a Japanese film. Yeah, maybe. That I'm surprised is not on here because I know that you've had quite a little journey with. I have reasons, with, I said. Yeah, I, 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 I know. I know. I can't really pinpoint exactly what it was about Tampopo. It's one of those movies ah. where the overall feeling of it is just so warm and inviting. Yeah. And it just, mm-hmm. I'm, it's making me smile just thinking about it and talking about it. I'm so smitten with this movie. I think is a good word for yeah. it. I was absolutely smitten with the characters and the, the way it all plays out. Yeah, it got to me. <laughs> and of the movies on our list, I mean, this would actually probably be a great movie to pair with Pig. Yeah. You know, watch Pig first because Pig is a little bit darker and downer. Yeah. And then, you know, just sort of bring yourself up by watching Tempopo. But just that sensuousness of food is so beautifully done in both of these movies. Yeah. Are we ready for my number one? Uh, I wonder what Brian's number one pick is. Hmm. You know, if you have followed me on Twitter, whatever, you knew what this was going to be. I mean, this was pretty obvious, I think. Uh, (laughs) This is a movie that just kind of instantly became a favorite. Can I maybe play a little something that might give people a hint? Well, I have the soundtrack so I can (laughs) drop it in. About what this is? It may have something to do with that song. Yeah, may um, have. Sorry. So that song has become an anthem for me and my whole family. It is our road trip song. My kids love it. They love singing it. They love the idea of it. That's right. Drive it like you stole it. John Carney's Sing Street from hey! 2016. And I know this was one of your favorites too. Yeah. Which is why it's not on my list, because I knew it was going to be your favorite. Yep. But this was one of those movies, I watched it and was like, this is spectacular. I showed it to my whole family. I knew my wife would like it. I wasn't sure my kids were going to be into it. We watched it for family movie night. Everybody loved it. Everybody. Yes. From, you know, my 15-year-old, my 13-year-old, my 11-year-old, who's not into music at all, loved it. I love the tagline for this. It's so simple. You know, boy meets girl, girl unimpressed. Boy Starts Band. And that's what it is. And But it's about Dublin in the 80s and wanting to escape the ordinary and not wanting to become just another factory worker. And he has to go to a new school that is run by, I don't know, priests or something like that. <laughs> He's bullied, um, you know, his shoes are brown instead of black and he gets, you know, sort of hassled by the headmaster, you know. But I tell you what, when he suddenly gets into the music, because he's not really into music yeah. until he sees Rafina, he just asks her, so do you want to come see my band? <laughs> You know, and he doesn't have a band. Yeah. But then, you know, they just sort of make it up. They don't know what they're doing. This forming the band and it's just a bunch of kids who can kind of play instruments, but not really. But what I like best about this movie, I think above all, the thing that really moves me is the family stuff, is the mm-hmm. relationship between him and his brother. His brother. You know, his, that scene where he just says, you know, I gave up my dream so that you can do them. You better do them. You better try because I didn't. 
you know, and I couldn't, but I paved the way for you. I blazed this trail for you to take. And that is powerful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are elements of it that are like, this is clearly not real. You know, like the drive it like you stole it scene is. I've played over and over and over again on YouTube. I (laughs) I love that scene. But that's how he pictures this thing in his mind. Mm -hmm. It's not real, you know. Because then they go back to the reality and it's just them on the stage and there's a few people dancing around awkwardly, right? Um, (laughs) But then when they play the dance at the end and you hear this is how Sing Street really sounds, they're a pretty damn good little band. Yeah. They've found themselves. And I just love his sort of evolving. You know, he starts out as essentially copying Duran Duran. Duran. And then, he, then he moves on to something I like that else. song, though. And, yeah. Oh, the Riddle of the Model. <laughs> the Riddle of the Model. And it's just a joyous film, ultimately. And just yeah. that idea of, you know, freedom. I'm taking it back. It's the leaving home story. It's the born to run Bruce Springsteen story. And I tell you, that scene, you know, when they're on the boat and they almost run into the ship at the end and and they're just following in the wake, trying to just get out of here. Just the feelings that you get and the remembering what it was like to be a teenager. And there's so much about this indescribably wonderful and yeah, this is also a uh, little sneak preview of... (laughs) an episode that we will be having very, um, very soon, <laughs> very soon. It's going to be a lot of fun to really talk about Sing yeah. Street along with your choice, which is another terrific choice too. I want to go watch Sing Street again now, Brian. I haven't watched this since June. That was the first time. I only watched it the once and I really caught on to Rafina's yeah. character though. She has one line in the movie that I recall that indicated something yes. very dark that they don't really explore. And I was like, huh. So her character has really fascinated me. And So after we watched this, we also bought the Blu-rays and it came with a digital code. So I will be giving away Yay. a copy of Sing Street as well. So keep your eye out for that. You're so nice, Brian. All right. So that's our list. All right, let's run them both down one more time. Okay. Remind people of the titles. Okay. Okay, I'll do mine first. Okay, mine was The Last of Sheila, and then In a Valley of Violence, The Lair of the White Worm, Bit, Time After Time, Eastern Promises, The Big Heat, 52 Pickup, Detour, and Tampopo. Okay, and mine were Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Nightmare Alley from 1947, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, The Invitation, A New Leaf, Pig, Harry and Tonto, Last Night in Soho, Eighth Grade, and Sing Street. Okay, so what are some of discards? <laughs> discards. We talk like we're on screen drafts. I know. You know I know, right? <laughs> but uh, what are some of the other options? Okay, well, some big stuff for me, like I said before, like I watched a ton mm-hmm. of classic well-known movies that I just had not seen before. So I left those off just because they're so well-known. But I mean, come on. This year I saw The Maltese Falcon, Seven Samurai, Double Indemnity, Brief Encounter. Loved that one. Now Voyager was another really good one that I loved. And then one of the noirs that I really, really wanted to include, but the big heat kind of edged out just a little bit, was Kiss Me Deadly. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. The Aldrich movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) When I watched that, I remember watching that. And, of course, the ending got me, like, 
what the fuck just mm-hmm. happened there? I remember watching that and there's like one part, it's kind of like a Pandora's box kind of thing in, in the movie, but there's one part where I was like, what is in this thing? Like the fucking Ark of the Covenant or whatever. And I, apparently I wasn't that far off, like <laughs> in terms of what happens later on. But oh God, yeah. Watch that movie just for the ending. You will not see that coming at all. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. I also watched The Thin Man. Mm-hmm. I know. And. And I'm going to be watching the sequels pretty soon because my best friend is very sweet and gave me like all the sequels on DVD, which I'm, I'm stoked to watch. And then I also saw The Lady Eve. Oh, yeah. So like, <laughs> I mean, come on. I watched a lot of good shit <laughs> that I've been meaning to catch up on. Well, also just from your influence, I also wanted to see all those OG gangster movies. I watched Public Enemy, Little Caesar, and Scarface. And honestly, my favorite one was probably Little Caesar. Oh, wow. And I know I know that's the one you said you didn't like as much, right? Yeah, actually. But no, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. What were some of yours? Okay. I, can I mention one that I was surprised that did not end up on your list? Well, yeah. Well, I wasn't done. Those were just like all the classic movies. Oh, those are just the <laughs> classics. Okay. I got deep into uh, Kurosawa this year. Yes, my favorite one was Rashomon, which absolutely was on the list. But I took it off because uh, you might be hearing me talk more in depth about that on another show. Excellent. That's what I was wondering about because I yeah, hadn't so. heard confirmation. That's news to me. That's yeah. great. Um, we got to actually just record it. I'll, I'll get on that soon, Lindsay. I promise. Okay. <laughs> Okay, a few that I watched that were like just edged out. I just watched the movie Another Round, Thomas Vinterberg's oh, movie yeah. uh, starring Mads Mikkelsen. Mads! That was really good, really fascinating, sort of complicated and grown-up look at alcohol and the relationship to it. And I found it really interesting. The Battery, one of the more unique zombie movies I've seen. That's Jeremy Gardner's movie from 2012. I've already mentioned Coronico which, again, terrific. Alejandro Jodorowsky's Santa Sangre. Fuck yes! <laughs> the movie's awesome. Now, why this isn't on the list is just because it's, like, so overwhelming yeah. of a movie. <laughs> it's almost like it transcends the list. Yeah? It's almost like I don't even know how I feel about it. It's five stars. I gave it five stars, but I almost don't know how to talk about it. It's mm-hmm. just sort of beyond all of that. I get that, yeah. yeah That's kind of anyway. how I feel, too. That's <laughs> one that I remember watching for the first time, like, I love this. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated with this. It's completely sucking me in, like, and I'm so entranced by it. But it's also one that I have not watched again yep. because I don't want to lose that memory, that feeling that I had when I first saw it. Yeah, I have yeah. it. I bought the Blu-ray, and it's like I kind of want to see it again because I want to experience it. I'm starting to like lose certain things that happened, you know, in my memory. But damn, that first experience was just so entrancing. Yeah, that movie. Yeah. Okay. So I have a lot of these here. So I'm just going to kind of rattle them off. But the 1971 version of The Beguiled, uh, directed by Don Siegel, Mm. uh, kind of a challenging film. I mean, there are some things that are like, but really good movie. From 1973, both of these movies from 1973, Scarecrow, starring uh, Al Pacino and uh, Gene Hackman, is really something terrific. It's sort of a road movie, too. Jeremy, which I've already talked about on our Almost Famous episode. Hangover Square from 1945, great sort of British noir-y kind of thing about a musician. Recommendation from you, Killer Joe, William Friedkin's (laughs) movie from 2011. Wild as fuck. Anyway, um... (laughs) 2017, uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid, 
beautiful little movie. Uh, yeah, it's on Shutter. Burn Witch Burn from 1962. Mm-hmm. Um, the Stuntman, primarily yeah. because of Peter O'Toole's performance. Uh, that's my favorite thing about the movie is Peter O'Toole, though I love a lot of what's going on in that movie. Another recommend from you, come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Terrific yes. movie. Now, that's Robert Altman like I've never seen Robert Altman before. A really interesting movie. The Long Good Friday, a great British gangster film. Kill List, which I kind of mentioned. My favorite family film of the year, The Mitchells versus The Machines. So <laughs> much fun. So much fun. So unexpected. Just a joy to watch. I mean, it's literally, you know, a family fighting robots and saving the world. And it's awesome. Awesome. From 1972, Prime Cut. uh, You talked about sex trafficking earlier and (laughs) Prime Cut. Woo! Definitely deals <laughs> yeah, with this that. Goes there. And uh, Lee Marvin and Gene Hackman as the most vile, evil character I have ever seen him play, for sure. And he played Lex Luthor. Something about it is just so intense. Again, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this movie. But, but it's it, also it like funny. Yeah. yeah. It's so it's, it's so gross in that way. But funny like, and I'm gross kind of into, and weird. Kind of into and, it. Yeah. I mean, poor Sissy Spacek in this movie. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Dead and Buried. Great Love seaside that horror. One of the sweeter movies. Dog movies are always, they get me in the heartstrings. Uh, Hachi, A Dog's Tale from 2009. No. Very unexpected. Much better than I expected it to be. The cover makes it look like it's a Hallmark movie. It's not. <laughs> it's really wonderful. Then another one that was kind of a surprise, I heard about it on screen drafts, on their Christian Stewart draft. It's called Speak. It was a a Showtime movie, and it's about a high school girl who's sexually assaulted and just dealing with all of the fallout and emotions and feelings and traumas from that. Uh, Very powerful film. Really quite good. Cash on Demand, which I've already talked about, the Hammer film. Peter Cushing is sort of a Scrooge-ish kind of character. It's a little bit like A Christmas Carol and a little bit like, I don't know, The Silent Partner. It's an interesting movie. From 1990, speaking of bank robberies, uh, Quick Change. Hey, that was on mine too. (laughs) Really, another really good one. And uh, Last of Sheila, which we've already talked about in depth. I also want to throw out real quick a Boris Karloff film directed by Michael Curtiz called The Walking Dead. That is interesting and really quite good. Cool. Unusual movie, yeah. Sorry, that was a long list. That was a that was a no. lot of recommends. You know? <laughs> Sorry. Well, I definitely have more. Like I said, those other ones I listed before were just the classic movies. I had tons of other ones that I really loved. That I'm actually just now remembering. Um, Talk radio, Oliver Stone oh, uh, movie. I thought that was so good. I very was so high on that. my list um, to watch. I I very much recommend this one. It's very cool. Um, Eric Bogosian mm. is so good yeah. as a main character. Uh, the Wrestler. Oh, I love The I Wrestler. Loved, I loved The Wrestler. That so got to me. Radio Flyer. I don't know if this was a favorite, but it was a bit just a big surprise. Uh huh. Kind of is presented as a little coming of age, like little boys, like having fun type movie. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. There's some dark stuff in that one too. That's that like Elijah expecting. Wood or something, isn't it? Woo! When he was like, I think so. Little. <laughs> it was I think really so. Young. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember now. Kind of similarly, I saw Boyhood. Oh, so good. That definitely uh, got to me i watched i had no problem watching that entire thing all the way through oh, it's no. like what four hours or something yeah, yeah i just sat down i was enamored with it oh, loved it's that. Terrific, um, yeah. the sugarland express still haven't seen it 
That's one of the uh, only. That's one of my only Spielberg so blind spots. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun. You'd love it. Um, and then just to cap on all of the Godzilla movies, pretty much that I watched this year, we'll just say that <laughs> anything with Godzilla or King Kong in yeah. it, I loved. <laughs> Which was mostly the newer ones and then the Showa era ones that I caught up on recently. That's what I saw. And yeah, just pretty much loved all those. I loved all the Kurosawa, like I said. Uh, Rashomon is my favorite, but I also saw Seven Samurai and uh, Yojimbo, Sanjuro. And um, just recently, The Bad Sleep Well, which was really good. That's one that I haven't seen yet. I like own that, that one, one, but I haven't seen it yet. Very different. Mm-hmm. But again, Toshiro Mifune just being yeah. hot and awesome. So, yeah. Oh, and Ron, too. Yeah, Ron is my favorite Kurosawa film. It took a little bit for me to get into that one, but oh, damn. When I did, it was yeah. it got me. I bought the 4K of it, and yeah. um, I am just waiting for a time where I could just turn it on and just sit back and watch the whole thing. And in this 4K transfer, I cannot wait. Also, kind of going off of some of yours. I well, I also had Barb and Star good at Vistamar <laughs> as, as a possibility. Um, but on the Kristen Stewart front, personal shopper. Oh yes, also Love first that. time viewing for me this year. Knife plus heart. Mm-hmm. I've heard Loved lots that. of good things about that one. Uh, it's, it's so good. Um, I also had quick change. That was a hard. I had a star next to quick change because I was like, oh, that's, that was like my favorite comedy yeah. that I watched. But uh, that was hard to leave that one off. In the cut. I still haven't seen it. Yeah. That's Meg Ryan uh, and stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jane Campion, mm-hmm. uh, Meg Ryan, like you've never seen her before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so dark and, and gritty, but an amazing performance. Amazing movie. Melvin and Howard, I think, was a recommendation yeah. from you that I had a lot of fun with. Good movie. Very, yeah. very cute. Chunking Express. Uh, oh yeah <laughs> um, a newer one that's on netflix that is a remake of uh i don't know like what country it's from uh the guilty okay that one was very interesting jake gyllenhaal is a 911 operator oh right i heard some discussion about this one i it might have been I on colors it, of the dark or something yeah i think so like yeah. i didn't know it was a remake when i watched it i just kind of sounded interesting to me it sounded like one of those like one location type of movies mm-hmm. that i really like and i was really into it it's a really cool story yeah hard eight. Oh yeah dug it yeah dug it mm-hmm. um hardcore like i mentioned before um, that, that movie one. is i mean we talked about eighth grade being hard for me to watch hardcore was yeah. just like it was like that way worse <laughs> you know it was, as a dad yeah. watching that well, movie, yeah. it was just like oh man <laughs> I mean, because of the obvious, sure, but then also for the scene when he finally does find her. Yeah, that's the part. And it's like, mm, I was like, oh, shit, I wasn't expecting that. No, that's the thing. (laughs) I mean, she's like, what she says to him is just like, Mm -hmm. rips your guts out. It's so powerful. (laughs) It's ouch, Uh, I'm almost done. Um, just a couple more. Oh, another classic one that from you that I totally dug was Scarlet Street. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good movie. Yeah, I, I recommended that earlier this year, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Good movie. Um, prisoners. Uh, loved prisoners oh, yeah. Prisoners a lot. Uh, 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 Denis Villeneuve's movie, yeah. Another yeah. one that just kind of kills you at the end. And, oh, then, uh, and then Body Heat. <laughs> I thought you might like that which, one. Which I knew... Which you said were like, I know you're going to love this movie. I was like, of course I did. (laughs) So sexy. Uh, (laughs) Sexy kind of uh, modern noir. Dug it. Yeah, it's it's got a lot in common with Double Indemnity. Yeah. Yeah, lots of good stuff to... Mm -hmm. 
to chew on for everybody. I mean, making a top 10 list, it's always like, these are the top 10 I most want to talk about, I think, yeah. is, is how it goes. Whether they were actually objectively the best films or not is sort of beside the point, you know? That was a good year for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Catch- me too. I had, I think I had a good combination of like catching up on older stuff and catching up on newer stuff, which like you, like I'm usually pretty bad at sometimes is watching newer movies, but I've been trying a lot harder to, to sprinkle in the new movies with uh, all the other stuff I'm trying to catch up on. So yeah, I watched Pig 2 and like, that's definitely what I'm glad I didn't sleep on for too long, you know? Yeah, this list this year is a lot more new movie heavy than I normally do. You know, I find myself usually catching up on movies from the 70s or 60s or 80s, you know, not so much movies from 2015, right? But um, that's kind of what happened this year. Uh, So, which is okay, you know, and it's nice to feel a little bit more current and go, oh, there were a lot of good movies that I have missed that I'm glad I'm catching up on. So. So that whole show was pretty much full of recommends. So we're not going to do our usual (laughs) recommendation thing uh, at the end of the show. So next time we are going to be talking about one of the movies from this discussion. And that is right at the top of the year. We're starting with something that we thought would be fun to do. Our original choice for what was going to go here would have been a little bit of a downer. So we decided to change it around a little bit. And we're going to start with... What's the topic? The topic that we're calling getting the band together. So that's probably yeah. going to give you a hint. Uh, so my choice is John Carney's Sing Street. <laughs> and yours is? Mine is That Thing You Do. <laughs> yeah. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Directorial yeah. debut. Now, you mentioned that there is a director's cut and a theatrical cut. It sounds yeah. like we're talking about the theatrical cut i would say so maybe yeah okay now i've never seen the director's cut um though i am curious now i didn't even know there was one so i um, (laughs) it's not wildly different Mm -hmm. but i don't know i kind of more feel the the theatrical kind of more what i'm into okay well i'll talk about what the differences are because i think there's one thing and that's kind of big for one of the characters that the director's cut says that is not explicitly stated in the theatrical. You told me what that was, and I think I'm going to kind of watch the movie with that lens this time mm-hmm. and just see if it comes through in the subtext a little bit. And I think that'll be interesting. I think it does. Okay. Now that I think about it, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. That's great. I'm looking forward to seeing that movie again. It's been quite a while, but it's a movie that I Ugh. greatly enjoy. I um, absolutely adore that yeah. movie. It's like one of my feel-good movies mm-hmm. you know, to throw on. Okay. Well, we're just going to go ahead and finish up here with where you can find us on the socials. You can find me on Twitter at Brian D. Kuyper. And you can find me at Michelle N. Agan. And our show is at Movie Life Pod. We've been giving away lots of digital codes. And, you know, hey, if we got stuff for Christmas, we might end up <laughs> having a few more <laughs> digital codes to hand out. Uh, you never know. And then also giving us uh, a rate and review on uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen. We would very much appreciate that. 
Yeah, that's right. Spotify now has ratings and reviews up. So if you do listen to us on Spotify, if you can drop something in there to help other listeners find the show, that would be really helpful. And then, as always, the iTunes one is really the, helps out the metrics and the algorithms and the other things that I don't really understand <laughs> happen yeah. for us. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. And hey, what are we going to do, Michelle? We're going to see you all next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.